Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. Merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that, hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Sports History Network Showcase, our in-house show featuring SHN podcasters talking sports, talking history, and talking sports history. My name is Oz Davis, host of the Sports History Network's Truth of the Goats podcast. It's the return of the showcase to the Sports History Network, and we've got in a guy who's actually been with the network for a while now, Scott Adamson, co-host of the From the 55-Yard Line podcast. Scott, how are you faring these days? I'm doing well, sir. How are you doing these days? Well, I'm okay. I'm far enough away from the fires. (laughs) This part of California is not burning. Uh, This part of California is paved over, so there's no chance of of fire here. Uh, Howard, in Alabama... Uh, how is the COVID situation? How is the extreme weather situation? Uh, the COVID situation is horrific, you know, because people oh, really? wear masks oh, wow. and do what they're. Oh yeah, it's 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 really wow. bad. Um, weather-wise, you know, it's it's typical South. It's still highs in the 80s during the day and mid 60s at night, and we've had a lot of rain lately. Um, and we're, you know, my wife and I are about to celebrate our fourth month back in Alabama after. Being in Greenville, ah. South Carolina, for the past fifteen years, so yes, you know we're right. we're adjusting to being back home. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. I was going to talk to you about Alabama football in a little bit, but I'm going to confess I haven't watched much uh, SEC football this season yet. Are they allowing capacity crowds? Uh, I believe they are. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, and in fact, I'm I'm sure they are. I'm I'm a UAB guy, so I went to their oh, opener okay. last week. There's a new stadium in Birmingham and nice. they had, I think the capacity of the stadium is 47,000 and they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had paid attendance of 37,000, but wow. I'm not sure there were quite that many people there, but the way the new stadium's built, it has a really open concourse. So between me wearing a mask and having that open concourse, yeah. I was able to basically stay away from people. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, if you go to a, to a stadium in Tuscaloosa or, you know, I guess, maybe Neyland Stadium in, in Knoxville. No, it's, it seems like it'd be a dangerous situation. I mean, it's probably mm-hmm. dangerous for me, even though I was taking the precautions and wearing a mask. But, you know, I'm, I'm vaxxed and, and I'm trying to do everything like you're supposed to do. But still, I don't want to be shoulder to shoulder with people until mm-hmm. such time as this thing that they get a handle on it if they ever do. Don't, don't say it like that. Yeah, well, okay. yeah. <laughs> Let's drag it back to the artificial universe of football, as it has been called. There we go. Professional football in North America, be it from the 50 or 55-yard line, is a special, unique, and rare game 
for those who have played it make it so. The heroes of the game, which recalls for many the glory of youth, for the true fan remain timeless, ageless, and forever part of a story that began long ago. For their stories are legends in which they found in the sport a demanding measure of their courage and ability, the achievements of which remain forever enshrined in the words of the researchers, historians, and sports writers, without whom their stories could not be told. Join with Scott and Greg from their 55-yard line perch and the Sports History Network on a discussion of professional football today as seen through the lens of a time where we got our news from Cronkite and Cosell, and when the game was filled with magic and wonder, where the heroes of youth, with names like Unitas, Stabler, Jackson, Greasy, Lancaster, Holloway, Staubach, Moon, and Bradshaw, played before us on old cathode ray screens and in ancient stadiums now long gone, but never forgotten. From the 55-yard line, in your view, what is the concept of the podcast? Well, it's kind of interesting because I had, you know, I'd, I'd done things with you and Joe before, but I had never really thought about doing a podcast on a regular basis. But Greg Smith, he and I got to know each other through Twitter, you know, kind of, Social media can be horrible, but can also be kind of cool because you make friends that, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have. And he and I just started corresponding and he said, why don't we do a podcast? And I said, well, never really thought about it. If, if you want to drive the train, you know, I'll, I'll ride coach with you if you want to do it. And, you know, I think originally, you know, we thought about just basically sticking to standard sports history. And he wanted to gear it more towards the CFL because, you know, he and I both are, are big CFL guys. So that's the main focus, but we tend to, to break character pretty often. You know, we basically just want to get people on who want to talk about football. And, and if they can talk about the CFL, that's great. But we're primarily, I think, interested in just just the history. You know, sometimes when you're older guys like we are, you, you kind of want to look at things through through grainy old footage, at least in your mind. So I think that's kind of what we're trying to do a little bit. And it's, you know, it's fun. I mean, we've got to talk to some really interesting people. And, you know, to me, it's just I love history and I just want to learn things that I didn't know before. And that's one thing that that from the 55 yard line has really been able to do for me. I'm, I'm learning a lot from it. I think it's interesting. My, my theory lately, I mean, not that I'm getting older, is that I think that people get interested in history as they get older because they've been watching it happen their whole life. You see something like Man on the Moon, Space Shuttle Challenger, you know, Bill's Giant Super Bowl, Tom Brady, you know, whatever. And then you slowly watch as it becomes viewed from a perspective. And then pretty soon we've got a whole generation of kids who, for example, never saw Michael Jordan play. You know, and then right. and certain folks you think about that and you're like, hmm, isn't that interesting how the perspective of these things change? I was there. <laughs> you know, let me tell you about the history. So I, I think that's really it. If you're a journalist like yourself or, or myself, as we used to be, uh, you know, you see things, you see things and you, you observe this happening. Yeah, now, it's, it's really, you know, when you have that distance of time and years, you know, I mean, I, I can go back and remember when Monday Night Football first started and how as a kid, 
that was just thrilling because that was an excuse. You know, you could ask your mom and dad if you could stay up on a school night to watch football because it was, oh, wow. But yeah, now, I mean, good Lord, you can watch football constantly almost. I mean, it's it's basically seven days a week. You know, when you think that ESPN now occasionally throws in a Tuesday night college football game. I mean, you. Mm. I, I think when we look back when it was kind of, you know, on Saturday, you might have one college game. And if you lived, <laughs> you, you know, there were, what, two networks doing the NFL. So you get maybe two games on a Sunday. And that's, yep. you know. That's all all over with now. That's ancient history now. Yeah, it's so funny because it's still there, right? That archaic thing still exists, right? So on CBS, right. you'll have a couple of games. And like, for example, out here, you'll get the Rams at the top if they're out east. And you'll get the Chargers at the bottom if they're at home or whatever. Or you'll get the Raiders because they're in division and they're really popular. And, you know, that still exists, but nobody cares because you got red zone. Because yeah. you got NFL network oh, absolutely. Pass, right? You watch your team. It's interesting. I read this study. This is only vaguely relevant. But I read this study where they pulled baseball fans and football fans. And they pulled them and they said, okay, would you watch a game? That doesn't have your favorite team in it. And, you know, the results are pretty much exactly what you would think. 70% of football fans said, oh, sure. Whereas 70% of baseball fans said, no way. Football, people will watch any football at any time, pretty much. Now that Americans are discovering the CFL, thanks to betting and (laughs) fantasy football, mostly. (laughs) Now, uh, on a totally different subject, Scott, you're a retired sports writer. You are retired. You consider yourself I am. retired. I am. Okay. You're yes, retired. I'm earning no right. money, so I'm retired. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I think I think a lot of people are like that <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> That's true. Okay. So you were in the American football, American sports game for decades. But uh, how did you get into CFL football? I mean, other than that brief flirtation in the US, uh, how did you become interested in the CFL? I mean, you still follow it now. So Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it started in the uh, in the early 70s, you know, growing up in Birmingham, the one of the uh, local channels would show truncated CFL games in the summer. And I think it was it was whatever TV deal they had where I think originally they were going to try to do live games. But for whatever reason in Birmingham, we basically got games that were maybe a day late and cut down to an hour. And I was just, I was all about football in the early 70s. I mean, I, you know, I started loving the AFL in the late 60s. So anything that was related to tackle football, you know, I was all about. And there was something about the CFL that just seemed exotic to me. You know, three downs to make 10 yards and 12 players to a side. And the, you know, the length of the field, because when I started watching it, the end zones were still 25 yards deep. Mm-hmm. And it, I just thought it was great. I thought, man, this is just such a cool brand of football. And it was just one of those things that stuck with me because I loved it so much. You know, I would have friends that, you know, I'd, I'd see them on the playground or whatever and say, oh, man, did you see the CFL game? And they'd look at me like, you know, what? What is the CFL? And it was like it might, <laughs> you know, it might as well be a league out of Russia, you know, to right, talk, right, talk right. to you about it. But I just, uh, you know, I love the style of it. And, and it was one of those things where to me, I'm looking for the entertainment value of the game. You know, you don't have to be the best athlete. You just need to play something that entertains me. And especially in that era, those games were fun to watch. And I just became a fan and, and have you know remained a fan now for 
what, 40 years? I mean, it's crazy. Especially back then, it was a thing like the USFL, where every once in a while, you'd recognize a guy, right? There would be a guy who was a top-level player, you know, and that right. you know, who would start in college. He was All-American or whatever, and, you know, you knew him. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and I always say that. That was the thing that the CFL still has and the USFL had, is that, yeah, okay, it wasn't the NFL, but you still had some names, you know, you still had some players that the Americans could remember and, and relate to, whatever. But nowadays, not so much. In August of last year, August of 2020, your book, The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football, was published. So tell me, any good reviews, any good feedback on the book? Uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate. I mean, most people who have read it have, have really liked it. And, and fortunately, it did what I kind of hoped it would do, because even though it's about Birmingham teams, it was really when I wrote it, I was thinking about people who, you know, had lived in secondary markets like me, who never had an NFL team to root for. But if a team came along in one of these little brand X leagues, you know, all of a sudden that became a big deal. So that was their team. And, you know, like in the case of, of most Birmingham teams, even if they only lasted a year, you had it. And then another one would come along and you get excited about it. So it, it's made me feel good to know that it resonated with people who weren't from Alabama or, or weren't for even from the South. And I've even had people who, you know, are from NFL markets, people in Chicago and New York who said, oh, this is kind of interesting because we get to see the perspective of someone who hasn't been as lucky as we have. You know, you grow up in New York or Chicago, you've always had major professional sports, but you grow up in Birmingham, Alabama. That's not the case. I mean, it's a college market. So any kind of pro football team that came along, you know, it was just uh, it was unique. There was the novelty to it. But especially early on, you know, like with the World Football League mm -hmm. and you were a young kid like me at the time being 13, you had the expectation that this was going to be a big league and it was going to last forever. Just as you had the AFL and then the NFL. Now you were going to have the, the WFL. And, you know, it was just it was going to be the team that you would get to root for for the rest of your lives because you knew they'd be there, even though we know differently now. <laughs> but, yeah, I've been very pleased with the response. That's one of those things that's impossible to translate because I had basically the exact same feeling about you know, 10, 15 years later with the USFL. People nowadays just don't get it. I mean, I do a podcast with a guy who's the biggest USFL fan ever. He was, like, born in the 90s. He has no clue what the usfl was but it was so exciting you know as proper spring football and again we had some names we had some we even had some celebrities associated with it. you know nowadays you take it for granted you, you see leo dicaprio and denzel washington at lakers games and spike at the knicks games and whatever but in those days it was weird to see you know burt reynolds at a Tampa Bay football game. You know, it was weird to yeah, or, see. Or Lee, Lee Majors, you know, Lee Majors was sure. big into the LA Express too. So yeah. Sure. Right. And, and of course, Donald Trump pushing this thing on late night talk shows and whatever. It was wild. And then, you know, again, had some names who had Doug Flutie and Herschel Walker and Minister of Defense, Reggie White, right? I mean, Steve Young, Jim Kelly, you know, a few, they had, a, I think four or five, USFL guys ultimately made the, 
the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But well, and you know, being a you know, growing up in Birmingham, being a Stallions fan, we had Joe Cribbs. Uh, oh yeah, you know, John Stallworth. Nice. I mean, we I mean, yep. we had some really you know some great players, and and it yep. made me learn to appreciate Cliff Stout, who when they brought him, oh yes, like, oh, man, that's right. I don't want a Pittsburgh Steelers backup, but then after <laughs> Stout got here, I thought, man, I love this guy, you know, he's great. So that was a heck of a league. I mean, it was, yeah. you know, by the time it it you know after its its third season. No, it wasn't NFL caliber, but if you'd taken the Baltimore Stars, you know, they might have been a 9-7 NFL team, 8-8. Eight, eight. I mean, I think they were yeah. good enough to where they could, could have competed. Yeah. So, yeah, it was terrific football. That's what they think. Yeah. The Michigan team was pretty good towards the end there, and the Stars, even though they had to keep moving locations. The Oakland Invaders were kind of coming up a little bit as well. But, yeah, it's a shame that that USFL and the WFL couldn't have ended better could have ended like the hockey league did with a merger the nhl took in what quite a few six or seven world hockey teams and then paid well, off just to see that's the other two see that's what was heartbreaking to me because i think they just took in four because when they had the merger there were seven wha teams left <laughs> right okay and they and they originally said that it was going to be a full merger so i'm thinking because i'd become a huge birmingham bulls fan at that point too i'm thinking oh my god we're going to have an nhl franchise in birmingham alabama who would have ever thunk it and of course and johnny bassett johnny bassett was stoked to to cash in on that right that was his that was his hope all along yeah yeah that's where i that's where i became a huge fan of john bassett when he owned that team even before yeah i mean you know he was with memphis in the wfl and then of course tampa bay with the USFL, but he was, uh, it was a good product. I mean, they didn't win a lot of games, but they were fun to watch. And it turned me into a, a huge hockey fan, which again, before the world hockey association, I didn't even know the sport existed. And then I became right. a fanatic about it. Right. And those, and these days you just move a team to Memphis, right? You just move yeah. a team to Atlanta <laughs> or whatever. But in those days you actually had to form to get hockey, you know, below the Mason Dixon, you had to form a a league, a team, you know, you had to make one outside of the regular league. Like that was the thing about the WFL. Hey, how do you get American football to Hawaii? Well, you make a league. (laughs) And it's interesting because that might work nowadays. The flight to Hawaii is still pretty extensive. I I understand. Oh, absolutely. The flight to Alaska killed the Alaska arena league teams because for a couple of years they had teams in the arena league, but, the flight time just killed that team. <laughs> you just yeah, people I, just didn't want to play. Yeah, it seems like Alaska had an ECHL team too. Maybe they still do. I'm not. Mm, I'm not. I'm I kind of ECHL so. impaired now, but um, I believe so. It's wild, but I, you know, I worked up in Alaska for a couple of summers, and they have their own independent baseball league up there. They have the Hawaii Alaska, uh, the Hawaii Alaska. And so oh, there's, wow. a, there's a handful of teams in Alaska, a handful of teams in Hawaii, and they just jet down back and forth. And then they also <laughs> play they also play exhibition games against Japanese teams. Oh, that would be cool. As well. Oh, it's a dope league. It's really cool. Yeah, you know, it's the like Anchorage Pilots and stuff like this. You know, it's it's like a, it's a dope league. But uh, there was kind of like you'd probably put it at about a double A ball. But it's wild because you know nobody else knows about this stuff. You know, it's this it's this proper pro league, but only the locals know about it. 
At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of the Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time newspapers.com if you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the sports history network you're probably in sports history and you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to say 1990 online the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless but then there's newspapers.com Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. I wanted to ask you this. Are you following Alabama football this season? Should we just expect a rollover to the finals? And uh, do you think they showed a little bit of fallibility only beating Florida by two points a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm so into UAB football. Yeah, I mean, obviously, just from from what you're seeing, I mean, if if I'm a betting guy, which I'm not, because then I would be even poorer than I already am. But I'm thinking you're going to see Alabama and Georgia in the SEC championship game and then probably also playing again in the national championship Mm -hmm. game. Just from what I've seen. I mean, Georgia right now. Of course, UAB played him, and it was you know 56 to seven. UAB's only points came out of pick six, but Mm -hmm. Georgia is just incredible on both sides of the ball. So yeah, Yeah. it's still early in the season, but I think they might be the team this year. But that you know, having said that, Kirby Smart still hasn't beaten Nick Saban, so you know he'll get a chance because I would be stunned if you don't see Alabama and in Georgia playing for the SEC championship. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'll admit I've been kind of myopic with, with my own school here, and I'm more of a pro fan than I am a college fan. So the college thing, it's kind of like, you know, outside of UAB, I'm catching the highlights and, and sort of looking at the scores, but I, I wouldn't pretend to, to really have any kind of true insight into who's great and who's not other than, you know, what you can obviously see. Mm-hmm. Well, who do you follow in the NFL then? Who does who does Alabama consider the home team? You know, Memphis. That's a good. Well, no, that that's a good question because now I know you know we talked a little earlier about the the TV games that are shown in market. Right. 
Right. The two market teams in the Birmingham area are Atlanta, the, you know, the Falcons, obviously, and the Tennessee Titans. Right. And there seems to be just around people that I interact with. The Titans seem to have a fairly big following here. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I don't know if it's, you know, there's a lot of envy about Atlanta. Birmingham, Atlanta are kind of, you know, <laughs> cities that compete against each other, you know, in, in several different ways. So. I don't think there's a huge Falcon fan base, even though there's a huge Atlanta Braves fan base here. But, mm. yeah, the locals seem to really, you know, lean towards the Titans. You know, I, as you know, I'm a Jets fan, so none of that makes any difference to me. But, um, <laughs> oh, you, know, you I, poor I, guy. Yeah, really. We, <laughs> Sorry. You know, but it's, no, I, yeah, I was telling I think I was telling Greg yesterday on our podcast, you know, you just learn to embrace the suckdom. I mean, I, over you know, it's been 50 years. So you just you deal with it. You know, you're bad. You know, you're going to be bad. You enjoy badness. Um, but but yeah, I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, too, especially in this part of the country, don't even really have, you know, a favorite NFL team. But if, you know, a, a local guy from Alabama, Auburn or whoever, if they follow them, then all of a sudden, oh, I like that team. Like you probably have a lot of yeah. Alabama people that like New England now because of Mac Jones. Right. You know? So. Right. But, yeah, you got yeah, you got three quarterbacks there now in the NFL, right? You got two. Yeah, yes. And uh, yeah, Hurts, and then you've got uh, Mac Jones over there in New England. Mac is looking like the best, pretty much. Yeah. But uh, in my opinion, but you you mentioned that you're a Jets fan. What's your take on Zach? Zach Wilson, he's got to give you a little optimism, huh? Yeah, he he did skills. last week. I mean, up until you know, up until last week, I'm thinking, oh man, we should have kept Darnold because Darnold's you know done a really nice yeah. job in Carolina. Um, but, but you know, as a Jet, you know that if there's going to be a trade or any kind of movement, it's going to be the wrong move. You know, it's like this. This is a franchise that I fully expect like next season they'll get the first pick in the draft and they'll pick a long snapper or something. You know, they're just going to oh, do yeah, something very, you know, very Jets like. Wow. But but yeah, no. I, I thought he looked good. I mean, you know, they've got huge line issues, oh, but yeah. the, you know, they showed some moxie against a decent team. You know, they beat the Titans and now hmm. they're going to be playing in London against the Falcons. That's definitely another winnable game. So, wow, if they could come out of next Sunday, two and three, I, I think I was telling someone else this. If they could finish eight and nine this year, I would be thrilled. I would figure oh. that would be just huge progress. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that eight and nine. I don't know. You you kind of think they're going maximum one and five against the, the East, oh yeah, no, no, I know they're not gonna yeah, no, trust me, I know they're not gonna finish eight and nine, but that's why I'm saying if they did, yeah, that would be a that huge be awesome. success story for me. Yeah, that would I'm, awesome. I'm thinking they're gonna win five, maybe. I think they'll finish maybe five and twelve. It, it's kind of a culture thing at this point, isn't it? Because I mean, I mean, Sammy Darnold is proving that it wasn't really him. I mean, he's not a really that. I don't think he's a Zach Wilson. He can't flick the ball downfield 50 yards like Zach. Yeah. But there's something there. I mean, he's what? He's leading the league at rushing touchdowns right yeah, now. That, that's something like that, right? To it's like, and to me, this is coach-player communication. To me, this is – you didn't know how to use this guy. And and seriously, Scott, I mean, the past couple of years, Jets coaching staffs have been some of the worst in the league. Oh, absolutely. Well, the organization's horrible. The organization's yeah. terrible. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, this this is, a, if there was, 
you know, relegation in the in the NFL. <laughs> the Jets would have been in the second division now for, you know, it'd be like Sunderland situation. So Yeah, but then you'd have yeah. a pro team in Alabama. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> <laughs> who else are you gonna promote? You know, right. Like, gotta be Bama. <laughs> uh okay. I'll get you out of here pretty soon, but just one last question. You're it seems like you're about the only person that cares about the CFO that I didn't speak to when everybody was flipping out about the whole XFL CFL thing uh, this past summer. Oh yeah. Uh, This past spring and summer. Uh, So I'd like to ask you about that. And we talked a little bit about the show about the current state of the CFL Uh, in general. What's your take on the future of one of our favorite sports? Well, you know, I mean, I'm hoping I'm hoping that it's going, I mean, it seems to be doing pretty well TV wise. And I know there's obviously issues with fan support in Toronto and I guess Montreal. Um, it's been one of those leagues that, that somehow has always seemed to be able to survive. You know, it's been, if you really look at it historically, it seems like every three, five years or whatever, someone's writing their obituary, you know, it's <laughs> either, well, the CFL is going to be a farm leaf, the NFL or the CFL is going to, go out of business if they don't do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that may, that may happen in the future, but, you know, I think there's obviously a place for it. I guess what is odd for me is, you know, I'm on the outside looking, looking in, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the States. I don't know what the culture is like as far as the fan bases and that sort of thing. I don't know if, you know, by and large, Canadian football fans want to see a more Americanized version of football or not. I mean, I really don't know. You know, I guess it just depends on on who you talk to. Um, I want it to succeed as it is. When this whole XFL thing came along, and I know a lot of people thought, oh, it's going to be a great partnership. And and when I first heard about it, I thought it was just, just going to be kind of a sharing thing where they were going to like maybe – have players where they could loan out players and maybe pool their resources in that sense. I never thought that it was going to be a merger, but then when they kept talking like it, I thought, Oh man, this is a nightmare because the CFL American experiment, you brought in American franchises, but then after a while you got rid of them, but you still had the CFL. And my worry was if you have a full merger between the CFL and the XFL, when it goes under, and trust me, it will, because all spring leagues go under, everybody goes under. You don't have that safety net. It's not like the CFL could say, okay, we're sorry that you know these American teams in, in this combined league are folding. I think the whole league would have gone under. So that's what worried me. I, was, I would have really felt bad about the future of the league had that happened. And I guess it still could if the XFL ever exists somewhere other than paper. You know, they didn't completely rule out something in the future, but I don't want to, you know, I mean, if if I could just work my will on it, I don't want to see that. I want to see the CFL remain the Canadian Football League and do its own thing with the three downs and 12 players. But, you know, I may be in the minority thinking that. I think they need something completely different. I think the situation with the yeah, CFL. Yeah, a lot of people do. The situation with the CFL and Canada, let's be honest, is that it's culturally, there's always this threat of being overshadowed by the U.S. End of story. This this is why the Argonauts are just not successful in Toronto, except when they can sign Rocket Ishmael. It's because 
they're getting Buffalo games, Buffalo Bills games. And even if Buffalo is terrible, it's NFL. And that's the thing, right? It, it, there's that snob factor. The other thing about the CFL is it operates like this weird combination of European, British, and American sports leagues, right? You have some teams that are privately owned. You have some teams that are community, right? right? You have this thing where you're dependent not on the TV, like in North American sports, and in you know big European competitions like the Champions League and whatnot, but on ticket sales, right? So you have to operate in that European soccer framework, but in a North American capitalist system. So at one point, right towards the end, where the CFL said, "Okay, enough of this," The Rock proposed a really neat idea, which was this: Okay, you have the XFL season you know, which is like 10 games or whatever. And that involves the CFL teams, right? So, and the home team rules are the rules. So if you're playing in BC, you're playing CFL rules. If you're playing in Seattle, you're playing US rules. Okay, then after the 10 games, you do the playoffs and whatever, and then you have the championship, right? After that, the CFL then continues, plays the eight games remaining on its schedule, has the great cup that would work and the thing is people complain about the three down four down thing right the the you know and the yard off you know the lines a yard off and motion behind the snap and whatever okay but look there are examples of this in other parts of the world for example you have in ireland you have gaelic football and in australia you have aussie rules football well those two countries have made a hybrid compromise version so that teams from those countries can play, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's like a modified version of both games. This is the kind of thing that is needed, I think, in the CFL slash, you know, whatever American league they're going to play with. I think that we really need, and I know Americans especially don't like to do this, but I think we need to borrow from a different kind of sports league model. You know, CFL is a unique animal in really world sports leagues. It's really unique in a lot of ways. And they have stuff like the Labor Day games and the Grey Cup. You know, these are traditions. You can't merge and throw those away. So you were talking before, too, about uh, how Canadians feel about this. A lot of Canadians at the time are like, Okay, first of all, we can't get rid of three-down football. Second of all, and I spoke, especially Josh Smith, the Podsky Weeby, Big Hamilton Tiger Cats fan, he purports the view. He's like, look, no, it's just not going to happen. The Canadian government, the Canadian people would not let that happen. They just wouldn't. If it came down to it, you know, they would find a way to plunk money in and prop it up. I just wonder about the quality of play. I just wonder who's going to care. Well, and it gets back to what you were saying, too, considering you have privately owned teams and that sort of thing. You know, you could even see a situation where, you know, Toronto and Montreal or whatever break off and join some other league. You know, you're left. It's like an Eastern Western thing. I mean, yeah, it's it's just uh, it's this big puzzle and it's just kind of odd to see. And, you know, that's what's odd for for someone like me, because, yeah, you know, you grow up and you 
have the way leagues function in the United States. And then you look at that and it's like, wow, that's weird. You know, you got a couple of green bays in a league with a couple of San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's very odd. You know, I, yeah. it's just when all this happened, I guess that's where I, I went into the old, old guy traditional default mode. Just like, I love this game and I want to figure out a way for him to salvage it. But yeah, I mean, it may come down to something. I, I mean, yeah. If you reach a point where either we can stay in business doing something different or we can go out of business clinging to our traditions, there's not much of a choice to, to be made there. You know, well, so. I mean, this is sports. This is culture. Right. I think you can have both. You just you just got to sure. be you just got to be willing. I mean, like, OK, you could do the thing where the CFL could become you know, a European soccer game, right? You would have to, I don't know what you would call it, provincialize BC, uh, Montreal, and Toronto. And I believe Ottawa may also be privately owned. So you would have to make those community teams, you know, somehow. You just deprogram mm -hmm. them. Or you just pack them up and move them to Halifax because they'd be, they want a community-owned team tomorrow. So it's just like, you know, you can put a team there. That solves one of your problems. I understand Moncton wants a team as well. You know, I mean, you could just go that way, but it's, you know, you brought this up about the big teams, you know, in the end, this was revealed. I don't know if you saw this, but after it was over a couple of weeks later, the story came out that this whole XFL CFL talk thing was brought up by Argonauts ownership. Argonauts mm -hmm. ownership wanted to blow the CFL and go to the XFL. They're just like, okay, screw, right. you know, we're the oldest sports franchise in North America, you know, and, and we're going to leave this league, <laughs> you know, that in part was created because of us, you know, and, and just take the team and go home. But then what happens? You know, they move to the XFL, the XFL folds in a season and a half. Then what? <laughs> then what? Yeah, and that's what the do you thing. do? I mean, You're not going to get to the NFL. Yeah, I mean, I just think. You know, and, and I keep hoping one day because I would love to be proven wrong. I would love to be proven wrong. But, you know, as long as we live and then even after we're gone, there will be people who are going to form spring professional football leagues and they're just not going to make it. I just I mean, it seems like if they were going to succeed, they would have succeeded by now, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and also, you know, I wonder and I know I'm, and this is just speaking personally, but like now in the spring, I've gotten into major league rugby. Okay. I know that's maybe oh, odd rugby to a lot of people, dope, but yeah. I enjoy it. Rugby I is awesome. It. So rugby is awesome. So if I, well, if I have a chance between watching major league rugby and a spring football league, I'm going to watch rugby because I'm oh. going to get, you know, during the fall, I've got CFL, NFL, college football. That's really all the football I need. You know, just honestly. Right. Now, I, now, sure, if Birmingham gets a team in the whatever football league, yeah, it's in my hometown and I'll be interested in it, but I'm not going to expect it to last because it's just not going to, you know, mm -hmm. it's spring mm -hmm. football and it's just not going to make it. So I don't know. this is actually the worst time probably in sports history to try and do a spring football. League. I mean, because oh, look, absolutely. They, they say that, you know, sports are on this 12 12 month cycle now, like the NBA never stops. Okay. Well, guess what? Now you're an NFL fan. So you're devoted to the NFL. Guess what? 12 months a year. It's too late. You're, you're not going to get anybody. You're not going to get anybody with a spring. 
you know, having the rock will help, you know, but that only goes so far. I mean, we saw what happened with Vince's Vince McMahon's first XFL. You know, that only goes so far. You know, we saw what happened with Trump's USFL. The having a personable owner only goes so far. Well, anyway, and that's the thing, you know, yeah, The Rock has money and Vince McMahon had money and and and, and that's fine, but the thing which people never seem to address is I don't care if you're a gazillionaire, at some point <laughs> you want to make a profit. And yeah. that's what the, you know, Vince McMahon realizes. He's thinking, ah, I'm not going to make any money from this, so see ya. And I'm afraid Danny Garcia Rock, Redbird Capital, I'm afraid they're going to realize that too. Yeah, they can put all their funding into it and, and put a really good product. You know, I thought the last XFL was, you know, fairly decent, but you just can't sustain it, I don't think. And yeah, again, I hope I'm wrong. I, I would love to admit it. My theory is that The Rock heard that in order to become president of the United States, you have to kill a professional football league. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Scott Adamson, co-host of the From the 55-Yard Line podcast here at the Sports History Network and author of the book The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football. Thanks for joining us on the SHN Showcase. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This has been Sports History Network Showcase Podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Scott Adamson, co-host of the From the 55 Yard Line Podcast here at the Sports History Network and author of the book The Home Team, My Bromance with Off-Brand Football. The theme song for the SHN Showcase is Quartz by Anitech and is available through fair use agreement via freemusicarchive.org. SHN Showcase will be back soon with another Sports History Network podcast. Until then, this is Oz Davis saying stay safe and stay historical. sports history fan this is arnie chapman aka the football history dude and i hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the sports history network and we're able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets i started the sports history network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website. But we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, Or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything.
All you got to do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.